1: you know that the Holy Spirit assists us when we pray. Jews 1.20 says that. And then when you don't know what to pray, when you're confused about what you should pray and you're sitting quietly, it says in Romans 8.26-27 that the Holy Spirit will make groanings for you. He will make groanings and intercede for you. I love that. So we have an assistance because, you know, sometimes praying can be hard. Sometimes praying can be difficult. But the Holy Spirit
0: shows us that. The Holy Spirit acts as a teacher, guide, and inner critic. As Pastor Dave shares in today's lesson, he also directs our prayers. You can lean upon the Holy Spirit to groan for you. Sharing what you're feeling, wanting, or seeking comfort can be hard. Lean upon the Holy Spirit in these times. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 15 as he continues his message. Who is the Holy Spirit?
1: You are sure We're going to continue on in the Gospel of John, chapter 15 and 16. And we're going to continue on in our our little series called The Holy Spirit. This is The Holy Spirit, part two. Uh, Last week, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is. And today, we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does, what He does in our lives and in the lives of the world and unbelievers. The Gospel of John, beginning in... Chapter 15, verse 26, down through chapter 16, verse 15. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues, yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offered God service. And these things they will tell, do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember what that I told you them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Let me ask you a question. Are you a multitasker? In other words, are you someone that can do more things at one time? Or are you that kind of person that can only do one thing at once? multitasker performs multiple tasks at the same time. It's interesting when you look at us, some of us are multitaskers and some of us are not. Now, I'm not trying to come down on any one particular group. I'm not trying to say anything right or wrong about being a multitasker or not being a multitasker. I stayed away from the joke of chewing gum and walking at the same time. Stayed away from that joke, although I just told it. Why did I say that? I say that because we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. We looked at who the Holy Spirit is. We looked at him in great detail last. Week. And I want to tell you one thing. The Holy Spirit is a multitasker. The Holy Spirit does many, many things at the same time. If you were here with us last, week. we looked at who the Holy Spirit is and we said that The Holy Spirit was the active agent of the Godhead at work in the world today. And as I said, boy, is he ever active. The Holy Spirit is not only active in our lives as individuals, he's active in our lives as a church body, but he's also active in the world. He is also active in the world. And we'll look at that scripturally today in these verses from the Gospel of John. But first, I wanna take a tour around some scriptures and look at what some of the things that the Holy Spirit does according to other writings in the Bible. We studied in John fourteen sixteen. In fact, I'm gonna turn back a page. I'm gonna read you what Jesus said as he promises this helper, as he promises this other person. He says in verse 16 of chapter 14, And I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. The promise of the helper, the promise of the comforter, the promise from the Lord Jesus himself. I'm going to send you another. We talked about this. The word alos for another means one exactly the same. And we said that Jesus was replacing himself with himself. Another just like him. The spirit will be with you as the spirit is with the world today. The spirit will be in you. The spirit will come upon you. These are the things that Jesus has said about his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is a he. And one of the beautiful promises that we just read a minute ago in 16 was, the Spirit will abide with you forever. He will be with you forever. What a beautiful promise that is. So as we go now through some scriptures, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1.13 says that the Holy Spirit guards our salvation by sealing us. The Holy Spirit seals us when we believe in Jesus Christ to salvation, when we declare him as Lord, when we believe that God has raised him on the third day, we confess our sins and because of what he accomplished on the cross, we become born again and, and we receive that. And he says, the Holy Spirit then comes in and dwells in us. And when that happens, we're sealed. We're sealed. We're his. We belong to him. We've been bought with a price but he also goes on in verse 14 of Ephesians 1 and says that the Holy Spirit not only seals us, but the Holy Spirit becomes our guarantee of redemption. The Holy Spirit becomes our guarantee of redemption. And there's an interesting Greek word here. Arhabaon. It means a pledge. It means to purchase money or property in advance as security for rest. How can I make this clear to you? Most of you probably at one point or another have been in some sort of a real estate transaction. And when buying a house or when selling a house, the buyer puts down money. It becomes a guarantee that they will buy the house. It's called earnest money. That's the word that's being used here. The Holy Spirit is our deposit. He's our guarantee. He's our earnest money that we will be redeemed by God when that day comes. That's wonderful news, huh? Isn't that great news? That we will be redeemed by God when the day comes. So the Holy Spirit does that. Did you know that the Holy Spirit assists us when we pray? Jews 1.20 says that. And then when you don't know what to pray... When you're confused about what you should pray and you're sitting quietly, it says in Romans 8, 26 and 27, that the Holy Spirit will make groanings for you. He will make groanings and intercede for you. I love that. So we have an assistance because, you know, sometimes praying can be hard. Sometimes praying can be difficult. But the Holy Spirit shows us that. Titus 3, 5 tells us that we are regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And as I said, Romans 6 says that when we are born again, when we are born again into a living hope, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us. And then when we're born again, we are born again by that power, according to the Gospel of John, which we read. We are born of the Spirit, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. We are born of the Spirit, hence being born again. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6 and 2 Corinthians 13.14, we're told that the Spirit comforts the believers with fellowship and comforts them with joy as we go through this hostile world. As we go through this life, the Spirit is there to help us with joy and comfort as it is needed. Romans 15, 13, the Spirit in His mighty power fills you with all joy and peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that surpasses knowledge as we go through various trials. And this peace outflows upon others and gives them hope. Sanctification is another work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me clarify something. When you are saved, positionally, you are sanctified. It's done. Up in heaven, you are sanctified. It's done. But here on earth it's a process. Sanctification is a process. And according to what we read in scriptures, the Holy Spirit in you is conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. Sanctification. The Holy Spirit sets us apart from the works and desires of the flesh. And he leads us into all unrighteousness. You can find that in Galatians 5. As the works of the flesh become less evident in our life, the Holy Spirit helps us to bear fruit, remember? Clinging to the vine, bearing fruit. The Holy Spirit helps us to bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, etc. Galatians 5, 19 through 26. Paul commands the believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't be filled with wine, which is dissipation, which has no meaning at all, which is terrible, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word is, be ye being filled. The constant, constant fill. And I like to use the glass of water. You have a water that is filled up, a glass, a glass that is filled up with water, and that's you, the glass, and the Holy Spirit is the water. But as you pour more water in, it doesn't empty and come back up. It just overflows. That's your life with the Holy Spirit in you, overflowing as you be being filled. Be being filled means the Spirit has control of your life and giving you full thing. Did you know the Spirit is a gift giver? Woo-hoo, we all like gifts. And he gives different kinds of gifts, but all of the same Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 4. And he gives these gifts for a specific reason, so that the church, the body, would be edified. The body would be built up. He gives them, it says, as he wills. Paul clearly says, we don't all have this gift, we don't all have that gift. He gives the gift as we will. And as we said in, in John 15, 26, the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ, pointing people to the Lord. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you when you come to someone. They see the Holy Spirit. They, they see something special about you. They feel the presence of something that they don't understand. And the Spirit is convicting them and witnessing to them. And that brings us to our text We're going to come back to what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer at the end of our scriptures today. But what does the Holy Spirit do in the world to those who are unbelievers? Well, let's read 16, verse 8. Jesus says, and when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's really interesting because if you love the old King James, which I do, but I happen to teach out of the new King James, if you love the old King James, the word for convict is reprove. Reprove. And that, that's a legal term. It basically means bring to light, to expose, uh, to convict and convince. And someone translated to pronounce the verdict. A verdict has been passed upon those as the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. That's the first point. What do you think of when you hear the word sin? What goes through your mind? Um, Sin basically means to miss the mark. Sin means to miss the mark. When you hear the word sin, do you immediately think of lying, cheating, stealing, pornography, adultery, murder, and all those other things? When you think of sin, do you think of disobeying the Ten Commandments or breaking the Ten Commandments? Is that what is in your mind? So when the Lord says he will convict the world of sin, we usually think Lord is saying, don't lie, don't cheat, don't do that, and don't do that. But that's not what he's saying here. If you think that, you're wrong. Because look at verse 9, and this is extremely important. He says, of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. And this is the sin that they will be judged on alone. The sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief has been called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But it's the sin of unbelief, not accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. It'll be one down to one simple question. Many people have said this, that when we get to heaven, we'll be asked one simple question. What did you do with my son? Oh, I thought he was a great guy, and good teacher. Ah, wrong answer. What did you do with my son? That's the question that many believe we're going to be asked. Jesus clarifies this for us. and I love the Bible because the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Now, I love the fact that John has already clarified this point for us way back when he was talking to Nicodemus in John 3, 17 and 18, when Jesus said these words. Verse 18, He who believes in me is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The world is being convicted of sin. We were convicted before we became believers of this sin of unbelief. We were convicted of that sin. Well, you might say, well, yeah, that's great, Dave. But doesn't the Holy Spirit as a believer convict us? Yes, he does. Most definitely, the Holy Spirit convicts us as believers. But the conviction that the Holy Spirit does, does not drive us away from the Lord. Instead, the conviction that the Holy Spirit does, it drives us to the Lord. It drives us to the Lord. See, the difference between condemnation and conviction, there is a difference. When being condemned by Satan, you don't pray because it's tough to pray. You don't fellowship with other believers because you don't want to. You, you can't even get out of the house. You can't read your word. You don't want to read your word. There's condemnation here. I know if I read my word, I'm going to be condemned. Oh, my, because it says I, what I'm doing is bad. You don't want to do it. So we isolate ourselves. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you, When the Holy Spirit convicts you, he usually says, come back to me. Return to my love. Come back. I get a picture. The picture's right here in my head. I get a picture of the father standing on the porch waiting for the prodigal son just sitting there lamenting and crying, my son was lost, come back son, come back. There's no condemnation, come back, please come back, come back and then he sees him afar off and he runs to him and wraps his arms around him and, him and kisses him and kisses him and kisses him and takes his robe off and gives him the ring and says, kill the fatted calf, let's have a party. My son was lost and now he's found. See, that's a picture. The Holy Spirit drawing you back to God. Holy Spirit drawing you back into his arms. Because he wants to restore you. He wants to refresh you. He wants you to, to build you up. He doesn't want to tear you down. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. I came that the world would be saved through me. Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. Listen to this in verse 10. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Sin is missing the mark righteousness is hitting the mark. Sin is doing wrong. Righteousness is doing right. The world is convicted of righteousness because Jesus went to the Father. What does that mean? The ascension of Jesus Christ demonstrated that he had perfectly fulfilled the Father's will. He had perfectly done and proven himself righteous so he could be taken up into heaven. And what this does is it exposed the righteousness of the world, because they rejected him, or we rejected him. The Holy Spirit shows that the righteousness of Jesus, and when we see the righteousness of Jesus, what are we faced with? Our own unrighteousness. It's like when we see the righteousness of Jesus, it's like He's holding a mirror that we look into, and what we see is our own unrighteousness. Allah, Isaiah chapter six. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, the train of his temple. What happened when he saw him? What was the first words out of his mouth? Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm undone. See, that's what happens when we see Jesus' righteousness. That's what happens when they see that. Jesus himself, Jesus himself took the bar and he raised it this high. He took the bar and raised it this high when he says in Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven excuse me? See, the Pharisees thought they were righteous. They thought they were righteous dudes. They thought they were up there. They looked down upon everybody because they thought that they had righteousness. There was a man-made righteousness. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds them, you're not getting in, pal. And then he says, oh yeah, by the way, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Uh, what? Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Okay, Lord, I'll see you later. How do you live up to that? How do you do that? How do you get there? I mean, be perfect as my father in heaven is perfect. What am I doing? I'm out. What do we need to do? Paul had the answer. Paul explains that it's not in your own righteousness. It's not in what you do. There is a righteousness that is available to you. Paul calls it the righteousness of God in Romans 1. I love this verse. Romans chapter 1. Listen to these words that Paul writes. 16 in Romans 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, the gospel, the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then to the Gentiles or to the Greek. Why? For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And then he quotes Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Excuse me? It's a God kind of righteousness. God counts you righteousness. How? How? How can I be counted by righteous by God? To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Picture Abraham. Abraham had a promise from God. He believed God for his promise. And scripture says it was imputed to him. It was given to him. It was accounted to him as righteousness. That same faith that we're now supposed to have. The just shall live by faith. To faith. To faith. To faith. We're saved by faith. We walk in faith. Always everything we have is by faith. You are assured.
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab.